Book Six, Part Two of History of the Kings of Britain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of the Kings of Britain by Geoffrey of Monmouth. Translated by Aaron Thompson and J. A. Giles. Chapter 11. Hengist brings over great numbers of Saxons into Britain. His crafty petition to Vortigern. Vortigern, therefore, as he owed the victory to them, increased his bounty to them, and gave their general, Hengist, large possessions of land in Lindesia, for the subsistence of himself and his fellow-soldiers. Hereupon Hengist, who was a man of experience and subtlety, finding how much interest he had with the king, addressed him in this manner. Sir, your enemies give you disturbance from all quarters, and few of your subjects love you. They all threaten you, and say they are going to bring over Aurelius Ambrosius from Armorica to depose you and make him king. If you please, let us send to our country to invite over some more soldiers, so that with our forces increased we may better be able to oppose them. But there is one thing which I would desire of your clemency if I did not fear a refusal. Vortigern made answer, Send your messengers to Germany and invite over who you please, and you shall have no refusal from me in whatever you shall desire. Hengist, with a low bow, returned him thanks, and said, The possessions which you have given me in land and houses are very large, but you have not yet done me that honour which becomes my station and birth, because, among other things, I should have had some town or city granted me, that I might be entitled to greater esteem among the nobility of your kingdom. I ought to have been made a consul, or a prince, since my ancestors enjoyed both those dignities. It is not in my power, replied Vortigern, to do you so much honour. Uh, because you are, you are strangers and to pagans. Neither am I yet so far acquainted with your manners and customs as to set you upon a level with my natural-born subjects. And indeed, if I did esteem you as my subjects, I should not be forward to do so, because the nobility of my kingdom would strongly dissuade me from it. Give your servant, said Hengist, only so much ground in the place that you have assigned me as I can encompass with a leathern thong, for to build a fortress upon as a place of retreat, if occasion should require. For I will always be faithful to you, as I have been hitherto, and will pursue no other design in the request which I have made. With these words, the king was prevailed upon to grant him his petition, and ordered him to dispatch messengers into Germany, to invite more men over speedily to his assistance, 
Hengist immediately executed his orders, and taking a bull's hide, made one thong out of the hole, with which he encompassed a rocky place that he had carefully made choice of, and within that circuit began to build a castle, which, when finished, took its name from the thong wherewith it had been measured, for it was afterwards called in the British tongue Kaiakorai, or in Saxon Thancaster, that is, Thong Castle. Chapter 12 Vortigern marries Rowan, the daughter of Hengist. In the meantime, the messengers returned from Germany with eighteen ships full of the best soldiers they could get. They also brought along with them Rowan, the daughter of Hengist, one of the most accomplished beauties of that age. After their arrival, Hengist invited the king to his house to view his new buildings and the new soldiers that were come over. The king readily accepted of his invitation, but privately, and having highly commended the magnificence of the structure, enlisted the men into his service. Here he was entertained at a royal banquet, and when that was over, the young lady came out of her chamber, bearing a golden cup full of wine, with which she approached the king, and making a low curtsy, said to him, Lavered king, wacht heil! The king at the sight of the lady's face was on a sudden both surprised and inflamed with her beauty, and calling to his interpreter, asked him what she said, and what answer he should make her. She called you royal lord, said the interpreter, and offered to drink your health. Your answer to her must be Trinkile. Vortigern accordingly answered, Trinkile, and bade her drink. After which he took the cup from her hand, kissed her, and drank himself. From that time to this, it has been the custom in Britain that he who drinks to anyone says Vachtheil, and he that pledges him answers Trinkheil. Vortigern being now drunk with the variety of liquors, the devil took this opportunity to enter into his heart, and to make him in love with a damsel, so that he became suitor to her father for her. It was, I say, by the devil's entering into his heart, that he, who was a Christian, should fall in love with a pagan. By this example, Hengist, being a prudent man, discovered the king's levity, and consulted with his brother Horsus, and the other ancient men present, what to do in relation to the king's request. They unanimously advised him to give him his daughter, and in consideration of her, to demand the province of Kent. Accordingly, the daughter was without delay delivered to Vortigern, and the province of Kent to Hengist, without the knowledge of Gorangan, who had the government of it. The king the same night married the pagan lady, and became extremely delighted with her, by which he quickly brought upon himself the hatred of the nobility, and of his own sons. For he already had three sons, whose names were Vortimer, Catagern, and Pacentius. Chapter 13 The bishops Germanus and Lupus 
restore the Christian faith that had been corrupted in Britain. Octa and Abyssa are four times routed by Vortimer. At that time came St. Germanus, Bishop of Auxerre, and Lupus, Bishop of Troy, to preach the gospel to the Britons. For the Christian faith had been corrupted among them, partly by the pagans whom the king had brought into society with them, partly by the Pelagian heresy, with the poison whereof they had been a long time infected. But by the preaching of these holy men, the true faith and worship was again restored, the many miracles they wrought giving success to their labours. Gildas has in his elegant treatise given an account of the many miracles God wrought by them. The king being now, as we have said, possessed of the lady, Hengist said to him, As I am your father, I claim the right of being your counsellor. Do not therefore slight my advice, since it is to my countrymen you must owe the conquest of all your enemies. Let us invite over my son Octa and his brother Ebissa, who are brave soldiers, and give them the countries that are in the northern parts of Britain, by the wall, between Deira and Albania, for they will hinder the inroads of the barbarians, and so you will enjoy peace on the other side of the Humber. Vortigern complied with his request, and ordered them to invite over whomsoever they knew able to assist him. Immediately upon the receipt of this message came Octa, Abyssa, and Cherdich, with three hundred ships filled with soldiers, who were all kindly received by Vortigern, and had ample presents made them. For by their assistance he vanquished his enemies, and in every engagement proved victorious. Hengist, in the meantime, continued to invite over more and more ships, and to augment his numbers daily, which, when the Britons observed, they were afraid of being betrayed by them, and moved the king to banish them out of his coasts. For it was contrary to the rule of the gospel that Christians should hold fellowship or have any intercourse with pagans. Besides which, the number of those that were come over was now so great that they were a terror to his subjects, and nobody could now know who was a pagan or who was a Christian since pagans married the daughters and kinswomen of Christians. These things they represented to the king, and endeavoured to dissuade him from entertaining them, lest they might by some treacherous conspiracy prove an overmatch for the native inhabitants. But Vortigern, who loved them above all other nations on account of his wife, was deaf to their advice. For this reason, the Britons quickly desert him, and unanimously set up Vortimer, his son, for their king, who at their instigation began to drive out the barbarians and make dreadful incursions upon them. Four battles he fought with them, and was victorious in all, the first upon the river Derwent, the second upon the ford of Epiphrod, where Horsus and Catagon, another son of Vortigern, met, and after a sharp encounter killed each other, the third upon the seashore, 
where the enemies fled shamefully to their ships and betook themselves for refuge to the Isle of Thanet. But Vortimer besieged them there and daily distressed them with his fleet. And when they were no longer able to bear the assaults of the Britons, they sent King Vortigern, who was present with them in all those wars, to his son Vortimer, to desire leave to depart and return back safe to Germany. And while a conference upon this subject was being held, they in the meantime went on board their long galleys, and, leaving their wives and children behind them, returned back to Germany. Chapter 14 Vortimer's Kindness to His Soldiers at His Death Vortimer, after this great success, began to restore his subjects to their possessions which had been taken from them, and to show them all marks of his affectation and esteem, and, at the insistence of St. Germanus, to rebuild their churches. But his goodness quickly stirred up the enmity of the devil against him, who, entering into the heart of his stepmother Rowan, excited her to contrive his death. For this purpose she consulted with the poisoners, and procured one who was intimate with him, whom she corrupted with large and numerous presents to give him a poisonous draught, so that this brave soldier, as soon as he had taken it, was seized with a sudden illness that deprived him of all hopes of life. Hereupon he forthwith ordered all his men to come to him, and having shown them how near he was to his end, distributed among them all the treasure his predecessors had heaped up, and endeavoured to comfort them in their sorrow and lamentation for him, telling them that he was only going the way of all flesh. But he exhorted those brave and warlike young men, who had attended him in all his victories, to persist courageously in the defence of their country against all hostile invasion, and with wonderful greatness of mind, commanded a brazen pyramid to be placed in the port where the Saxons used to land, and his body when dead to be buried on the top of it, that the sight of his tomb might frighten the barbarians back to Germany. For he said none of them would dare approach the country that should but get a sight of his tomb. Such was the admirable bravery of this great man, who, as he had been a terror to them while living, endeavoured to be no less so when dead. Notwithstanding which, he was no sooner dead than the Britons had no regard for his orders, but buried him at London. Chapter 15 Hengist, having wickedly murdered the princes of Britain, keeps Vortigern prisoner. Vortigern, after the death of his son, was again restored to the kingdom, and at the request of his wife sent messengers into Germany to Hengist with an invitation to return into Britain, but privately, and with a small retinue, to prevent a quarrel between the barbarians and his subjects. But Hengist, 
hearing that Vortimer was dead, raised an army of no less than three hundred thousand men, and fitting out a fleet, returned with them to Britain. When Vortigern and the nobility heard of the arrival of so vast a multitude, they were immoderately incensed, and after consultation together, resolved to fight them and drive them from their coasts. Hengist, being informed of their design by messengers sent from his daughter, immediately entered into deliberation what cause to pursue against them. After several stratagems had been considered, he judged it most feasible to impose upon the nation by making a show of peace. With this view, he sent ambassadors to the king, to declare to him that he had not brought so great a number of men for the purpose either of staying with him or offering any violence to the country. But the reason why he brought them was because he thought Vortimer was yet living, and that he should have occasion for them against him in case of an assault. But now, since he no longer doubted of his being dead, he submitted himself and his people to the disposal of Vortigern, so that he might retain as many of them as he should think fit. And whomsoever he rejected, Hengist would allow to return back, without delay, to Germany. And if these terms pleased Vortigern, he desired him to appoint a time and a place for their meeting, and adjusting matters according to his pleasure. When these things were represented to the king, he was mightily pleased, as being very unwilling to part with Hengist, and at last ordered his subjects and the Saxons to meet upon the Calends of May, which were now very near, at the monastery of Ambrius, for the settling of the matters above mentioned. The appointment being agreed to on both sides, Hengist, with a new design of villainy in his head, ordered his soldiers to carry every one of them a long dagger under their garments. And while the conference should be held with the Britons, who would have no suspicion of them, he would give them this word of command, Nemet Urus Saxus, at which moment they were all to be ready to seize boldly every one his next man, and with his drawn dagger stab him. Accordingly, they all met at the time and place appointed, and began to treat of peace. And when a fit opportunity offered for executing his villainy, Hengist cried out, Nemet Uris Saxus, and the same instant seized Vortigern and held him by his cloak. The Saxons, upon the signal given, drew their daggers, and falling upon the princes, who little suspected any design, assassinated them to the number of four hundred and sixty barons and consuls, to whose bodies St. Eldad afterwards gave Christian burial. Not far from Caer Caradan, now Salisbury, in a burying place near the monastery of Ambrius the abbot, who was the founder of it. For they all came without arms, having no thoughts of anything but treating of peace, which gave the others a fairer opportunity of exercising their villainous design against them. But the pagans did not escape unpunished while they acted this wickedness, a great number of them being killed during this massacre of their enemies. For the Britons, taking up clubs and stones from the ground, 
resolutely defended themselves and did good execution upon the traitors. Chapter 16 Eldol's Valiant Exploit Hengist forces Vortigern to yield up the strongest fortifications in Britain in consideration of his release. There was present one Eldol, consul of Gloucester, who, at the sight of this treachery, took up a stake which he happened to find, and with that made his defence. Every blow he gave carried death along with it, and by breaking either the head, arms, soldiers, or legs of a great many, he struck no small terror into the traitors. Nor did he move from the spot before he had killed with that weapon seventy men. But being no longer able to stand his ground against such numbers, he made his escape from them and retired to his own city. Many fell on both sides, but the Saxons got the victory because the Britons, having no suspicion of treachery, came unarmed and therefore made a weaker defence. After the commission of this detestable villainy, the Saxons would not kill Vortigern, but having threatened him with death and bound him, demanded his cities and fortified places in consideration of their granting him his life. He, to secure himself, denied them nothing, and when they had made him confirm his grants with an oath, they released him from his chains, and then marched first to London, which they took, as they did afterwards York, Lincoln, and Winchester, wasting the countries through which they passed, and destroying the people, as wolves do sheep when left by their shepherds. When Vortigern saw the desolation which they had made, he retired into the parts of Cambria, not knowing what to do against so barbarous a people. Chapter 17 Vortigern, after consultation with magicians, orders a youth to be brought that never had a father. At last he had recourse to magicians for their advice, and commanded them to tell him what course to take. They advised him to build a very strong tower for his own safety, since he had lost all his other fortified places. Accordingly, he made a progress about the country to find out a convenient situation, and came at last to Mount Aria, where he assembled workmen from several countries and ordered them to build the tower. The builders, therefore, began to lay the foundation, but whatever they did one day, the earth swallowed up the next, so as to leave no appearance of their work. Vortigern, being informed of this, again consulted with his magicians concerning the cause of it, who told him that he must find out a youth that never had a father, and kill him, and then sprinkle the stones and cement with his blood. For by those means, they said, he would have a firm foundation. Hereupon, messengers are forthwith dispatched away all over the provinces to inquire out such a man. In their travels they came to a city, called afterwards Carmerdin, where they saw some young men playing before the gate, and went up to them, 
but being weary with their journey, they sat down in the ring to see if they could meet with what they were in quest of. Towards evening, there happened, on a sudden, a quarrel between two of the young men, whose names were Merlin and Debutius. In the dispute, Debutius said to Merlin, You fool! Do you presume to quarrel with me? Is there any equality in our birth? I am descended of royal race, both by my father and mother's side. As for you, nobody knows what you are, for you never had a father. At that word the messengers looked earnestly upon Merlin, and asked the bystanders who he was. They told him it was not known who was his father. It was not known who was his father, but that his mother was daughter to the king of Demetia, and that she lived in St. Peter's Church, among the nuns of that city. Chapter 18 Vortigern inquires of Merlin's mother concerning her conception of him. Upon this, the messengers hastened to the governor of the city, and ordered him, in the king's name, to send Merlin and his mother to the king. As soon as the governor understood the occasion of their message, he readily obeyed the order and sent them to Vortigern to complete his design. When they were introduced into the king's presence, he received the mother in a very respectful manner on account of her noble birth and began to inquire of her by what man she had conceived. "'My sovereign lord,' said she, "'by the life of your soul and mine, "'I know nobody that begotten of me. "'Only this I know, "'that as I was once with my companions in our chambers, "'there appeared to me a person "'in the shape of a most beautiful young man "'who often embraced me eagerly in his arms "'and kissed me, and when he had stayed a little time, he suddenly vanished out of my sight. But many times after this, he would talk with me when I sat alone, without making any visible appearance. When he had a long time haunted me in this manner, he at last lay with me several times in the shape of a man, and left me with child. And I do affirm to you, my sovereign lord, that excepting that young man, I know of nobody that begot him of me. The king, full of admiration at this account, ordered Morgantius to be called, that he might satisfy him as to the possibility of what the woman had related. Morgantius, being introduced, and having the whole manner repeated to him, said to Vortigern, in the books of our philosophers, and in a great many histories, I have found that several men have had the like original. For as Apuleius informs us in his book concerning the demon of Socrates, between the moon and the earth inhabit these spirits, which we call incubuses. They are of the nature partly of men, and partly of angels, and whenever they please, assume human shapes, and lie with women. Perhaps one of them appeared to this woman, and begot that young man of her. Chapter 19 Merlin's Speech to the King's Magicians, and Advice about the Building of the Tower 
Merlin, in the meantime, was attentive to all that had passed, and then approached the king, and said to him, For what reason am I and my mother introduced into your presence? My magicians, answered Vortigern, advised me to seek out a man that had no father, with whose blood my building is to be sprinkled, in order to make it stand. Order your magicians, said Merlin, to come before me, and I will convict them of a lie. The king was surprised at his words, and presently ordered the magicians to come, and sit down before Merlin, who spoke to them after this manner. Because you are ignorant what it is that hinders the foundation of the tower, you have recommended the shedding of my blood for cement to it, as if that would presently make it stand. But tell me now, what is there under the foundation? For something there is that will not suffer it to stand. The magicians at this began to be afraid, and made him no answer. Then said Merlin, who was also called Ambrose, I entreat your majesty, I entreat your majesty would command your workmen to dig into the ground, and you will find a pond which causes the foundation to sink. This accordingly was done, and then presently they found a pond deep under the ground, which had made it give way. Merlin, after this, went again to the magicians and said, Tell me, you false sycophants, what is there under the pond? But they were silent. Then he said again to the king, Command the pond to be drained, and at the bottom you will see two hollow stones, and in them two dragons asleep. The king made no scruple of believing him, since he had found true what he said of the pond, and therefore ordered it to be drained, which done he found as Merlin had said, and now was possessed with the greatest admiration of him. Nor were the rest that were present less amazed at his wisdom, thinking it to be no less than divine inspiration. End of Book 6, Part 2